Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Pear fans. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mutual view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? Paratruth Radio. We are the newest age in paranormal research and your one-stop spot for the latest paranormal info. If you are just joining us for the first time ever, welcome, welcome, glad to have you. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And before we get started with the show, we want to let you and everybody else out there know that while you're listening to the show tonight, check out our website at paratruthradio.com where you can learn more about us and what we do. Also, feel free to look into our Patreon account at paratruthradio.com and help us to continue bringing the world fresh, entertaining media each and every week. And by contributing, you'll become an executive producer of an upcoming episode of Paratruth Radio and officially become a part of the Paratruth family, which will include special monthly behind-the-scenes access to our productions. Folks, welcome. We're glad to have you back. For those of you just joining us, welcome for the first time. I hope you guys enjoy the show. If you have any questions for us, feel free to hit us up at paratruthradio.com or paratruth at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, check out any of our social media links. Uh, you'll find them at our website, uh, or right here, wherever it is you're listening. So <clears throat> today we have a topic that we've been wanting to discuss for quite a while. Uh, and it's something that I think we both touched on in the past, maybe not together, but at least on separate shows. Maybe I know I have, uh, and it, it's one that has really influenced the course of American history. Um, you know, a lot of people don't think about it, but the truth is that the Salem witch trials happen to have a pretty negative effect on America. And well, I would Salem, say but, even it's shaped Christian history and a negative oh, effect on Christianity in general too. Sure. Sure. Uh, and you know, what's interesting though is, you know, if this didn't happen, if the Salem witch trials didn't take place in 1692, where would our country be today? That's the, you know, that's the main question. That's the big question. Of course, we can't say because we don't know. That goes back into all of our history changing stuff that we're talking about over the last couple of weeks. But, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right into the show. But first to our transition intro. Now, Perjuit presents Salem. The birth of American communism. Alright folks, so those Salem witch trials. One of the most horrific incidents in American history. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, the Salem witch trials occurred in Massachusetts, colonial Massachusetts between 1692 and 1693. There were around 200 people that were accused of practicing witchcraft, the so-called devil's magic, uh, and 20 of which were executed. Now, what's interesting about this is even though there were some apologies later on after the trials were over, an official apology of the entire trial didn't come into fruition until 1950, which is pretty messed up. <laughs> Almost 300 years. Yeah, that's exactly. more than a little messed up. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and give you a little bit of a background here on the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into some uh, interesting discussion here. So first and foremost, Colonial Massachusetts. 1692 and 1693. This whole thing took place in about a year. Uh, and it began with two little girls. Da, 
darn girls, man. Always the kids. It's always the kids. That's the sad uh, part about this is it started with two little girls and then just went. It did. It really did. Uh, and it started in January of 1962. Reverend Paris's daughter, Elizabeth, age nine, and niece, Abigail Williams, age 11, started having fits. These fits consisted of screaming, throwing things, uttering peculiar sounds, and even contorted their bodies into strange positions. Now, when the uh, reverend couldn't figure out what was going on, he ended up calling in a doctor. And the doctor went and blamed the supernatural, saying that these two little girls were bewitched. Now, the question here is, who really set everything in the motion? Was it these two little girls or was it the doctor? Hmm. I don't know. Unfortunately, we don't have that type of information and no real theories. However, most people blame it on these two little girls. Because later on, there was another girl named Ann Putnam, age 11, also began to experience similar episodes. And on February 29th, under the pressure of magistrates, Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, the girls blamed three women for afflicting them. These women were Tatuba, the Paris's Caribbean slave, Sarah Good, a homeless beggar, and Sarah Osborne, an elderly, impoverished woman. What do you think's going on here, Justin? These three kids start throwing fits and within a month they start pointing fingers why do you think that well i mean first and foremost like to hear that a doctor went to the supernatural when today it's the exact opposite now (laughs) (laughs) is kind of interesting um why they were pointing figures, fingers, it, my guess would be is so that they didn't befall the fate of what these other women's, women did. Um, but what, what constitutes a fit here? Were they really having like a, a mental disorder or were they having some type of epileptic seizures what was going on there were they just trying to get attention and you know that's what happened because if it was just them trying to get attention then they would divert blame to somebody else for even more attention oh these poor girls they've been cursed by these three witches and that's what's going on um if it was just you know they were sick and the doctor says oh then they're being afflicted supernaturally. These girls would play into that because they don't know any better. And they're like, these women are the ones that are doing that. And what better set of people than in back in those days, the most obvious, which would have been a slave, a beggar and an elderly woman, three people that would have been easy to, to pick on. I mean, especially nowadays people still treat, the homeless as below them and, you know, elderly impoverished, which would mean she's poor, just not homeless and slavery. Now today is abolished except for in third world countries. So Mm -hmm. to blame them because they're, they're looking for a scapegoat and they can see that these, these people, these magistrates are looking for a scapegoat go to people that maybe, are below them in, in status because most white people back then were higher than these people that were named. Right. Well, it's interesting because it was little girls that ended up blaming these three right. women. And so it's like, what is it that the girls, uh, that these two, three young girls at age nine and two at 11, you know, what is it that they can actually gain from, you know, pointing their fingers at these, at these women and, can there have been something that these women had done to them? Or were they just simply looking for attention, you know? Right. It, it could have been scapegoat things. It also could have been Reverend Paris saying, you need, you need to name these people because we need to get you out of the, mm-hmm. the limelight mm-hmm. of this. Well, <clears throat> you know, it, it's interesting because it, it really began with these three women, uh, as being the, the, the guilty party, if you mm-hmm. will. But, Interestingly enough, both Osborne and Good uh, claimed their innocence. However, Tituba, on the other hand, ended up confessing, claiming that she was a witch. 
She stated that the devil came to me and bid me to serve him. She describes elaborate images of black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a uh, black man who wanted her to sign his book. Now, she admitted to signing the book uh, and said that there were several other witches uh, along with her who were looking to destroy the Puritans. Now, of course, despite the fact that both Osborne and Good ended up uh, claiming their innocence, all three women were put in jail. Now, the curious thing is why would Tatuba have gone and confessed to being a witch? And I think there's a couple of, of different views out there, and one that's probably the most popular is she thought if she were to confess and say, hey, I have the names of other people, maybe they'd give her kind of a uh, you know little relief, you know, let her go mm. and not, not charge her as Elenient. harshly if she were to yeah. give up the other names. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen as it ended up creating a great – creating a great controversy uh, among the colonial Massachusetts and uh, ended up charging 200, pe- 200 people. That's a lot of people, you know, in a, in a matter of a year. Um, <clears throat> what I found fascinating about this was it was men, women, and then even dogs <laughs> that mm-hmm. were were actually hung the, of the 20 that were hung. Right. Absolutely. It's quite, quite interesting. Uh now, despite these three women being the first accused, neither of the three were the first to be put to death. Yep. Which is, again, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite these women being placed in prison, it wasn't until May 27th of 1692 that the first case was actually brought to court. And that case was the case of Bridget Bishop, probably the most famous uh, person in this particular uh, event. And that's simply because despite being an older woman and, you know, all of that, she was the first one to be put to death. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, she was an older woman uh, who happened to have very gossipy habits and promiscuity. So surely enough, she's kind of on the, you know, on that checklist of the type of people we don't want around. Right. Right. So that would make it makes sense why they would accuse her. Uh, it just doesn't make sense as to why she would have been hung for her crimes um, or so-called crimes, because she's not being she's not being condemned for her, her promiscuity or for her gossiping, but for being a witch. However, much of the court at the time was uh, paying attention to evidence that didn't really support uh, any facts of these women being being witches. Instead, they were listening to little girls saying, oh, I had these these visions. And they're saying, okay, they're taking those into account. Okay, these girls had visions, therefore they are witches. Because like you can't use that as support, you know. Um, but nonetheless, Bishop ended up being found guilty on June 10th and became the first person hanged on what was later called Gallows Hill, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, <clears throat> and, and of course it just started to, to go out from there because people, you know, it, it seems at the beginning that everyone was choosing or pointing fingers at the people who were less fortunate or who weren't quite uh, um, saints, if you will, as being the witches. Right. However, eventually it did get to a woman by the name of Martha Corey, who was a loyal member of the church in Salem Village, which was even a, a greater concern to the community because if, of course, Martha Corey, who's a loyal member of the church, is a witch, then obviously anyone can be a witch. And everything just got blown out of proportion from that moment on. So with this happening, with Bishop being uh, a found guilty and uh, hung for her crime. About five days later, after the event, a respected minister by the name of Cotton Mather ended up writing a letter imploring the court who condemned her not to allow spectral evidence, as I was just saying, uh, of any testimony about dreams or visions, as it just simply could not hold up and should not hold up in court. Um, but of course, largely, the court ended up ignoring such a letter and ended up continuing to kill people uh, for their crime as witches. They ended up uh, sentencing five people who were hanged in July, five more in August and eight more in September of 1692. And on October 3rd, following his 
his son's footsteps increased Mather, then president of Harvard, denounced the use of spectral evidence. For he said it were better that 10 suspected witches should escape than one innocent person be condemned. And from that moment on, they were able to bring in a new court system, uh, get rid of all the spectral evidence, and finally, eventually, Governor Phipps, who, in response to Mather's plea, ended up pardon- pardoning the rest of the people who were held in prison uh, on their witchcraft conspiracy charges. Um, in the end, 20 people were killed, uh, 19 hung, one, I believe, was pressed to death but with stones, which, by the way, took several days to kill him, uh, and two dogs. The one thing that I found interesting about this is they threw out spectral evidence, definition being dreams and visions, mm-hmm. but didn't throw out, I watched this person turn from a dog to a human when really the dog probably walked away and then the person walked back and they're like, hey, they turned in or didn't turn into people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird thing, you know, um, but I said, but I don't know, you know, I, I think. I guess in this case it's different because you, we're talking about possible. There, there are other people who end up coming forth, other than the little girls, older people who claim to have seen uh, winged monsters flying to the sky, uh, and hearing noises in the woods, and seeing these dogs. So now they're taking into account not something that <clears throat> these little girls claim to have had in their head, but actual visual witnesses or witnesses who mm. claim to have visually seen some of these, these creatures. Uh, you know, some said that they were goblins in their church offices and things like that right. or in their homes. So there's all kinds of things happening at the time. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into it and we're going to get into more of this in, in a little while here. Uh, you know, Gallows Hill, well, we're going to talk about that. That's something I think is important because many people believe uh, that Gallows Hill was where these witches were hung. However, recent evidence claims that it wasn't Gallows Hill, but instead was somewhere else. Uh, we're also going to go ahead and get into five myths about those Salem witch trials and discern whether or not those myths are true or if they're just simply myths. And just what exactly it is that these Salem witch trials meant for America. All right, folks, after Eric's Random Fact of the Day, we're going to get all into that and more. Now, Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Millions of people all around the world enjoy soda pop on a daily basis. One of the most famous sodas is a citrus soda known as 7-Up, which was created in 1929. But I'll bet that most people don't know what 7-Up stands for. It turns out that the number 7 was selected because the original containers that 7-Up was produced in were 7 ounces, and the word up indicated the direction of the bubbles. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading. reading! All right, folks, welcome back to Pear Truth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And we've been discussing the Salem Witch Trials, and just before break, Eric mentioned that uh, we're going to get into some... Interesting facts um, about the Salem Witch Trials, starting off with where these witches were really hung. So, Eric, mm-hmm. why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So, according to a video on the Washington Post, uh, historians from Gellows Hill Project pinpointed the spot of the Salem Witch Hangings, uh, which actually turns out they believe to be Proctor's Ledge. 
Now, researchers examined uh, eyewitness accounts in their investigation, and one account mentioned a house below a hill where the executions took place, and others spoke of viewing these uh, executions from their windows. Now, the researchers determined the location of Proctor's Ledge using aerial photography and uh, advanced mapping technology, which helped them roll out the myth that the hangings occurred at the nearby Gallows Hill, which was invisible from the houses that they identified. So because of this, Salem City officials now plan to preserve the area and install a memorial marker. Now, what's interesting here is that if I'm not mistaken, Gallows Hill was something that was coined back around colonial times. Mm. Uh, and, and so it's hard to believe that Gallows Hill would have been, uh, m- I guess, misidentified at such an early time. And I understand 300 years later we might misidentify it. But I think people back then would have said, oh, that's Gallows Hill because they watched the things happen. Mm. The only thing I could think about is if modern city officials ended up Switching the two names around and hence calling Proctor's or uh, Gallows Hill Proctor's Ledge and what should have been Proctor's Ledge Gallows Hill. Um, but I think it's interesting because it, uh, Proctor's or current day Gallows Hill supposedly cannot be seen from where the homes used to stand uh, back in Salem, colonial Salem. Mm. Uh, and so it's it's interesting to think. Like in this case, there's this video, and it's kind of weird to see because you see the video, and I almost want to be there in a creepy way because, like, this is where 19 people were killed for being witches, and it's this eerie feeling like, oh, can you imagine being those people down in the homes watching it or just being, you know, these witches who are here or these women. I don't want to say witches because they weren't witches, but uh, these women who are falsely accused uh, of witchcraft being hung here and what they would have seen uh, as as the uh, the stool moved from underneath them. Well, things like that. I mean, it could have been lost in history because, I mean, back then there were great fires. There were things that would have messed up historical facts because it would have burned the actual written documents saying where things were. So mm-hmm. it's possible that that might have happened. But if you're looking at eyewitness accounts, um, yeah, you would think, how can you mess something up that that easily if all of these accounts have been written down somewhere and preserved? Mm-hmm. So it, it it's hard to say what really happened as far as why things were named. They were named why things were named what they were named. Because stuff like, I mean, stuff like that keeps popping up throughout recent times about a lot of ancient history. Um, Right. I mean, just look at some of the facts that are popping up about the Bible now that we thought were just nothing more than myth and legend in a holy book. So Mm -hmm. interesting stuff, though. So some of the other, uh, what are some of the other myths that you came across that are kind of debunked now? Yeah, so, I mean, there were a few, there are about five total myths here regarding the Salem Witch Trials, which I think a lot of people uh, just misunderstand. Uh, the very first myth is that the convicted witnesses were burned at the stake. Uh, I think this is a common one that people constantly think, you know, if a witch is going to be um, executed, for, for the witchcraft, they're likely being burned. Mm. But that didn't happen, happen in Salem. Uh, in fact, according, according again to the Washington Post, uh, it was usually the French witches, those in France who were burned, while English witches were hung. Hence the reason those of Salem, Massachusetts were all hung. Um, and so I think that's just something that, you know, we see in movies, we see in books of these people being burned, but that was something that happened overseas most often. Uh, so that's myth number one. Well, one thing I, I, I like about this myth in the, in the Washington Post is that at, uh, there was a conundrum at Channel Island of Guernsey when three witches turned up in 1617. 
the people hung them, then burned them. They're like, screw this. We're not, we're not taking any, any, uh, chances here. You're, you're getting both. I, I don't care how you're supposed to be done. You're getting both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, and some people believed that, uh, it, a witch would be able to come back from the dead if they weren't properly, you know, disposed taken of, care of, right. disposed of. Uh, same thing with vampires. You know, there's so many myths uh, surrounding vampires. Sometimes you take the, the heart out. Sometimes you put the head of the so-called vampire at the feet, mm-hmm. uh, in the coffin. Sometimes you stake them down, um, put roses around the, the coffin, things like that. One they um, found, actually found where there were, bricks shoved into the mm-hmm. mouth of people. Yeah. So that there's all these superstitions and mythologies as to how you would keep some of these supernatural creatures at bay. Uh so yeah, naturally, you know, if if you're concerned, hanging and then burning might be one step. <laughs> uh let's hope it doesn't happen anymore. Um <laughs> Myth number two. All the victims were women. Now, this is something we've already discussed a little bit, uh, but plain and simple, the answer is no. Not all the victims were women. Uh, there was um, four men. Um, Not all of them were human either. That's, that is also true, <laughs> uh, but we don't hear about that. That's not as, right. as, as popular. But uh, <clears throat> of the 19 people who were hanged in Salem, four were men. Uh, one of which, uh, whose name was Feckless, a fortune telling carpenter and a 42 year old Harvard educator or Harvard educated minister. Um, you know, these really at this time, you know, everybody, you know, it, it was free game, uh, women, men, et cetera, et cetera. But often with the men, um, they were known as wizards instead of witches or warlocks. Yeah. Or warlocks. And, uh, they were typically, uh, seen as more powerful than the women, um, you know, back in those days. Uh, so needless to say, that myth very obviously debunked. Uh, you could see that pretty much anywhere if you just look online or you can actually go to Salem and go to the museum and see some of the stuff they have. Uh, and you can read the, the papers yourself. All right. Myth number three, the idea that panic took. When one person found out that there might have been a witch in Salem, hysteria just went, you know, and everybody started going crazy. Well, this is one where it's kind of on the edge. I think there was a certain amount of panic, uh, but at the same time, this, this is more of a thing that was condensed into just the Salem town. Right. Now it did, it did become widespread, hence the 200 people. Um, but many of the names that were named, in fact, one of the Salem girls named a total of 62 people. Uh, but the ones that she named claimed that they had no clue who this person was. They were from other towns, did not know of their existence. Uh, and so naturally like, well, this can't really be. You know, I'm not worried about it, so on and so forth. But what's interesting about this is how did this girl name 62 people who she didn't know? And yet these people claim they had never met her. That's something that's a little more supernatural and mm. incredibly interesting. Almost makes it sound like these girls were the ones behind being witches themselves and di- diverting attention elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um so Salem remained the epicenter of the crisis, uh, but Andover, Massachusetts, about 15 miles away, uh, was actually most severely affected as nearly one in every 10 of its residents were accused of witchcraft, often by their own family members, many of whom themselves confessed to having signed satanic pacts and flowing over the treetops. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Just interesting. Oh, goodness. Myth number four. Superstition was the driving force. Many people believe that it was just senseless superstition that caused people to go crazy and freak out over witches. Um, You know, nowadays we see someone throwing fits. We don't think, oh, a witch is bewitching them. We think, okay, they have a mental disability or there's... Uh, uh, you know, something wrong 
like they're just acting out some or something type like of that, disease, you know? right? Yeah. Um, so they're saying here that superstition in this case wasn't really the driving force, but you know, this is one of those that are also kind of on the edge. Now, again, it, it affected Christianity because at the time, uh, many of the Salem superstitions, uh, such as the ideas about witches came straight out of the Bible, the Old Testament in particular. Now, those who knew their Bible best believed most fervently in witchcraft, but not coincidentally, it tended to turn up in more pious homes. So in this case, you know, it's not, it's, I think when it comes to superstition, it's things that people just don't really know or understand. Mm. You know, that's what a superstition is, you know. Uh, these people who claim to, uh, well, these people who hunted the witches or claimed such and such a person was a witch, they were pretty well educated, uh, and literate. So they were able to read, um, they were able to understand everything they were doing and what, you know, what, what was legit and what wasn't. But yet they still ended up going and poisoning the current community and the culture uh, because of what they read. Right. I um, mean, one of the biggest things to to remember in this particular uh, debunked myth is even though it, superstition wasn't a driving force, it still played a factor because people eventually started ha- believing these superstitions because right. at that time they might not have, but then once all of this started going about, it's like, wait a minute. I was told about this. This is, this is what's going on. So yeah, I, I think that is actually a really good, uh, debunked myth because a lot of people do believe it was just superstition or, and to an extent, yes, that played a factor, but that wasn't the original driving force behind this. Mm-hmm. Right. So the real driving force here was simply, interestingly, religion at the time. Yeah. And people um, being and you know what? sick or that's, whatever. Yeah. And that's still the case today, uh, both for Christians and non-Christians alike um, or not alike, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> uh, you know, people always I mean, come on, there's plenty of Christians that you and I know uh, who are quick to cut everyone's throat and stab them in the back mm. because. They had figuratively, these, of course, this, of this, course. this era. Of <laughs> Back then, um, we literally would have been, <laughs> uh, you know, and so, but, but they are, they're quick, they're superstitious, they think anything and everything is the devil. Uh, it is just crazy. It's like, all right, look, there's a difference between a religion and a relationship with God. And you need to step away from the religion and walk into that relationship with the Lord because you guys are all really screwed up. <laughs> Sorry for those of you who are listening and actually do what I just said. But <laughs> we only speak the truth here, guys. So get off your high horses. Anyway, myth number five, the final myth that I have for you Ergot poisoning was to blame for the witch trials. This is one that actually you come across quite uh, often in your research uh, that may have, you know, played some kind of cue into why the girls were acting the way they did. Um, behavioral scientist Linda Keparil proposed a elegant theory in 1976 that a contaminated rye supply introduced Aragat poisoning to Salem, causing convulsions and hallucinations in the accusing girls. And it's interesting because these girls, you know, because they were acting out and convulsing and, you know, doing this and doing that, uh, it would make sense that this ergot poisoning could be to blame. Mm. However, evidence supports the fact that these girls were eating the same meals that everybody else was eating. So why would it be that they were affected and the others weren't? Um, this particular myth has been debunked, then revived and debunked again, and seems to continually go around in circles uh, regarding the Salem witch trials. Uh, but nonetheless, people believe uh, that some of the things that these girls were doing and seeing just simply wouldn't be the cause of ergot poisoning. For example, uh, some of these girls were falling into trances, you know, and they were seeing a fellow 
uh, parishioners perching in the church beams. You know, things like that isn't necessarily something that you would get from ergot poisoning, but some of the physical symptoms, yeah. So nobody really knows what this could have been. I don't think it was ergot poisoning, though. Well, when you think of poisoning, though, you think of uh, people's health, deteriorating, death. That didn't happen to these girls. Right. It didn't. It didn't happen at all. Um, And again, there are other people who are seeing things. Uh, Plenty of uh, grown adults who are seeing winged beasts in the fields and goblins in their parlors saw these things, but they didn't have any convulsions. So obviously if everyone were poisoned, there'd be a similar thing happening and most likely – for all we know, Salem would have been the next Crotoan. So, mm. <laughs> but anyway, that is our five myths debunked or otherwise. Uh, you decide, but, uh, I thought those were pretty interesting. I wanted to just throw those out there because I think those are some very common myths, uh, myths that even I believed some of them, um, such as the idea of, you know, burning witches at the stake instead right. of hanging them, you know. Not that that either or didn't happen. They both happened. It's just in Salem, it was the hanging. Right. And it's funny that uh, it brought that up because uh, the one show that my wife and I watch is uh, American Horror Story. And one of them was called Covenant, which was about Salem mm-hmm. witches. And the way that they punish each other for harming other witches is burning them at the stake. <laughs> so you would think Salem, they would have got their history correct, but interesting though. Yeah. It was actually uh, a myth or a notion that I had that all witches were burned at the stake. They weren't hung. And I don't remember ever thinking that about the Salem trials. I just thought mm-hmm. in general. So. Right. It's interesting to see that that actually is a myth that there are two separate cultures that do it differently. And then one particular civilization that did it both. Right, both. (laughs) (laughs) Or settlement, I guess, and not civilization. (laughs) So, Um, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So what are your, like, final thoughts on this? Because, I mean, for me, yes, religion... Superstition had a factor in this. Unfortunately, it brought down a huge, uh, dark shadow on Christianity. Just kind of like the, uh, the Crusades. A lot of people mm-hmm. talk about the Crusades and how horrible, and the Crusades were horrible. And that has also brought a dark shadow on Christianity. But I think that there were a lot of things in factor here. I, I can't say that superstition or religion did not have a say because it obviously did. Um, but to what extent did, did it, did it actually cause people to start killing these girls? Because I honestly think there were, um, more political things going on as well. Pressures mm-hmm. from political things going on that right. caused them to actually start killing these people. And there, and there were, you know, there, there was a lot of, there were wars happening overseas. Um, there, there were, you know, people were afraid of the native Americans here in America, that they were going to just show up with their tribe and slaughter the villages, uh, things like that. So there's a lot of, you know, factors that play into this. Um, and hence the title of our show, you know, uh, the birth of American communism. I mean, that's pretty much what we see here. You know, this is the idea of, 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 of commun- the idea of communism taking place. Uh, and it's actually a pretty creepy thing and scary thing because mm. that's happening today still. Um, you know, and, and in regards to, you know, my thoughts about the dark history of Christianity, look, there's dark history in every religion. There's always those whack jobs who take things too far, who, who, you know, like for example, <clears throat> when you think of, some people will look at the Old Testament. I've, I've had mm-hmm. this argument with people. They'll look at the Old Testament and say that it 
the God of the Old Testament is a different God from the New Testament because the Old Testament God is, you know, striking people down for mm. being witches or for their sins and stuff like that. In the New Testament, he's not. Uh, and they don't understand the true transition. They don't understand what's going on um, or the context or anything like that because they don't care to read the Bible. They just want to, uh, you know, get the gist, look at it from the outside instead of stepping into the box, if you will. Um, and so there's all of these people who are going to do things in the name of God that God just simply wouldn't really do. We see the same thing in the Muslim community right now happening overseas. There are many Christians being killed, beheaded, raped, et cetera, et cetera, in the name of Allah. And even though there are some Muslims out there, and quite a few probably, who are innocent in the matter and who are um, – um, gentle, it's those that take things way out of context and proportion, uh, who are creating the bad image for the rest of the religion. And so it, it there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. Um, and I think the same thing has just happened here with Christianity. And we still see people like that today. Now, I haven't seen anything in the news at any time in my life, uh, of Christians killing somebody for this or that. Mm. But that doesn't mean that they're not uh, persecuting other people, other individuals because right. of their because of what they believe, you know. Uh, and that's the the main thing about the Christian faith is you can't persecute people. You you can't go and you know like I'm not gonna look. I I won't agree with the Muslims' view uh, on on faith. Uh, and on who God is, but I'm not going to go and condemn them. That's not my job. That's a job for God to do uh, after our time here on earth is done. So, you know, it, you really got to to show respect to everybody regardless. Uh, and if anyone doesn't respect you, Jesus says it plainly, dust your shoe, kick your, the dust off your shoes and walk away. Let them go about their business and God will take care of that. Um, so, yeah. Crap happens. Well, you know, and it, I'm glad you bring up the the Muslim thing and what's going on in the Middle East right now because there are extremists in any religion, like you said, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of Muslim people that say that the Quran does not say to kill the the uh, the Westerners are to be killed. A lot of people say now. Granted, I've never read the Quran. I don't know for sure, but a lot of a lot of Muslims are saying that a lot of these people doing the killing are extremists. That is not how the Muslim faith should go. Yes, Muhammad was a warrior prophet in in the Quran, but that is not the true part of their faith. So I'm seeing a lot of that same stuff, like you're saying in modern day as it was back then too. And it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to think that people can do these atrocities to one another and just not blink an eye. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy, you know, and if, again, you know, it's, you know, it's, it, this is one of those, one of those subjects that are just touchy, you know, mm. Well, um, I think I, that's I, why not a lot of whole lot of people talk about it. Right. And so like even I like right now I'm just going to leave it just what you said because I don't need to be getting into all of that right now tonight uh regarding the difference between religions. That'll be an upcoming episode something Justin and I have already talked about. Um and, and we'll talk about that and that, that'll be a topic that's more along the lines, at least on my side, because I know Justin will argue with me on, on some of my points, probably many of my points, uh, as to why religions cannot coexist. Um, so that's something to look forward to in the future. Uh, we'll be doing that. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I think in the end, this is very interesting historical event, uh, very, you know, a graphic, horrible, sad end to things uh, and just the way things ended up. Uh, but you have to question, same question we asked earlier. What is it about the Salem witch trials that made America the way it is? You know, would America be different if Salem hadn't happened? We don't know. We simply don't know. You know, communism exists, period. Yeah. And there's a good chance that it would have showed up, you know, it, Remain's ugly face, uh, one way or the other. 
Um, but I'll tell you one thing is that you, I, I think many of the things that we talk about, there's a learning experience, but I think in cases that are historically accurate and, uh, uh, historically solid, such as this, this is truth. This really happened. Um, you know, there's, there's things to be learned from it and it's don't judge a book by its cover. Make sure you look at all facets of evidence before coming to a conclusion and plain and simple. Don't be ignorant. You know, you, you take those three things into consider it into consideration. You'll be okay. You'll make it through life without a problem and you won't be starting, you know, as many, as much strife as we've seen throughout the rest of history, the way wars are began, begun and things like that. You know, talk it out. Talk it out, people. Figure out what's really going on uh, before you jump to any conclusions that are unnecessary. My one final thought on this before we wrap it up is, you know, you mentioned would it would it have been different if the Salem Witch Trials had not happened? It's in my personal opinion that history constantly repeats itself. So if it if something wouldn't have happened in Salem. It would have happened somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. All right, folks. We're going to come up to the end here. We're going to be right back at the Justin's Paranormal Headlines. Don't go anywhere. We'll finish out the show. And now, Paratruth Radio's Paranormal Headlines. What's going on, Paratruthers? Justin here with your paranormal headlines, and these headlines are from unexplainedmysteries.com. China and Europe plan to build Moon Village. ESA has confirmed rumors that the two space agencies are planning an ambitious lunar collaboration. First hinted at by the Secretary General for China's space agency, Tian Yulong, the international endeavor, about which little is currently known, could see a manned outpost being built on the surface of the moon with a particular focus on space tourism and lunar mining. The Chinese have a very ambitious moon program already in place, said spokesman Pal Vistendal. Space has changed since the space race of the 60s. We recognize that to explore space for peaceful purposes, we do international cooperation. ESA Director General Johann Dietrich Werner has described the proposed base as a moon village and believes that it could also serve as a launch site for future missions to Mars. Exactly when such a project might get off the ground, however, remains unclear. And this has been Justin with your Paranormal Headlines. This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. guys welcome back to paratruth radio my name is eric and i'm justin and we are at the end of our show salem the birth of american communism uh we hope you guys enjoyed it if you have any questions for us feel free to hit us up uh facebook instagram twitter on our website paratruthradio.com and of course via email paratruthradio at gmail.com if you missed any of that stay tuned we'll play it again at the end justin what is going on next week all right, next week we are bringing back again Nick Redfern to talk about another recent book of his, Secret Societies, The Complete Guide to Histories, Rites, and Rituals. So it's going to be an awesome one. I think uh, we had him on for something similar, Secret Histories, a while back. But this one will be getting into the nitty-gritty of the uh, Masons, I'm sure the Illuminati, uh, Knights Templar, a bunch of different ones. Uh, one thing I wanted to put out there really quick to you guys is make sure you're checking out friendradionetwork.com and radioandpodcast.com. And if you aren't contributing to the Patreon account, that's fine. We appreciate you listening either way. But one way you can support us is like, share, subscribe. Make sure you're reviewing us wherever we're at. Uh, that helps us greatly. 
Um, so definitely share us with any friends and family that are interested in these topics. I think that's the best way you can support us. If you feel the urge to do donate to the Patreon account, we so do appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, folks, that was your episode. We were glad to talk with you guys. Again, if you have any questions, hit us up. You'll find out where at the end of the show here. So stay tuned just a little bit longer. But until next week, you'll find us right here, same time, same place. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. Peace. If you enjoyed this episode of Paratruth Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can find them at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and the Fringe Radio Network. Or for a one-time fix of all of your Paratruth needs, simply drop in to paratruthradio.com. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for brand new updates on our show every day. Finally, we love bringing you fresh entertaining media each and every week, but we can't do it without you. So please check out our Patreon account. Simply go to paratruthradio.com, click on the Patreon logo, and help us to continue bringing you the latest and greatest in paranormal research. Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.